Most Accurate Podcast presented by 444.com. My name is Greg Smith and I'm your host. The music on this week's show is No Castle by the band Restorations off their 2014 album LP3. Not a super original title there, but you can listen to the full song and all the other music from my shows on the TMAP B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. Today's episode continues our series of positional previews on the Most Accurate Podcast. Check out the past six episodes if you missed them for analysis of quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. It should come as no surprise that tight ends are next up to close out the series. But there are some big news stories we need to discuss before we get to tight ends, and I'm bringing in Rudy Gamble from Rasball.com to help me tackle everything. But before Rudy joins us, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by DraftKings. Fantasy football season is here, and we have partnered up with DraftKings to bring you any of our 4 for 4 memberships for free. All you have to do is go to 444.com slash DraftKings and follow the instructions. This show is also sponsored by Draft. If you want to join the biggest season-long tournament ever, then head over to Draft and enter their $3.5 million best ball championship. The grand prize is $1 million. If you think you have what it takes to win, just search for Draft in the App Store or go to Draft.com and get free entry into the best ball championship when you make your first deposit with the promo code 444. Just like it is in the website address, the number four, F-O-R, the number four. And I'd like to welcome in Rudy Gamble of Razball, which consistently has some of the funniest and most entertaining content in the fantasy biz and a bunch of free, great tools. Um, you can follow him on Twitter, at Rudy Gamble. Thanks for coming on the show today, Rudy. It's uh, round two for us here. We, we failed on the first recording, but we're back to do it again. But we're going to keep things fresh. We, we just assured ourselves of that. How are you doing? Doing good. I, I thought we were just having a call before are you saying that you were you tried to record me i just thought we, we had such good chemistry and you're like oh what you want to do a podcast later i'm like oh man that's uh, i it was like an audition please don't report me to the authorities it was just it was a failed recording there's an amendment you can't uh, there's some bill of rights that you can't record me unless i gave consent but i don't remember it i'm two beers in i think <laughs> Well, let's put those beers to work. We got a lot of tight end talk to get to eventually, but first there are a couple big pieces of news. Andrew Luck retiring being the big one, but before we get to Luck, uh, let's talk about Lamar Miller tearing his ACL. How high do you think Duke Johnson should be going now in drafts? I, th- I mean, I think he cracks the top 30. Um, I've had him bouncing around. You know, I, I keep, uh, you know, I've changed a few things on his projection since, uh, since the news broke out. Right now I have him about 25 um, yeah, he obviously plays a little better in PPR than in, than standard. I kind of see him with a ceiling of 175 carries. I know he can. I've heard all the stuff that he's Miami's leading rusher of all time. I think they'll they'll you could find a guy to take care of the rest. That his best stuff is being is kind of being electric, being a receiver. Yeah, you don't have to give him a full load. Whether it's one of the Crockett Higdon. Uh, Ferguson collective or what I would expect is some guy who's, who's getting cut. You know, if Doug Martin's healthy, he might be part of it. Kenneth Dixon, TJ Yeldon, they're all in the mix to, to be Duke's partner, but probably at best uh, a one B to Duke where, uh, so he gets his chance. Yay. Yeah. I've seen the, the Jay name floated out around there on the Twitter sphere and, and things like that. It'll be curious to see who they bring in because they're going to have to bring in someone. I, I don't think they can go with, you know, Crockett and Tubbs and, and whoever else is left over from the Miami vice cast there. What does this do for 
the rest of the Texans players? Are any of them impacted for you? Uh, because I don't see this as a major shift for any of the, the key players for fantasy there. But w- what are you seeing? No, it's, it's all the, the butterfly effect stuff. I mean, you, you could argue with Duke on the field more. He's a lock for third down. And now think of him as like, yeah, the rotation guy might play first and second. He's a better pass catching threat than Lamar Miller. I think Deshaun Watson's too busy trying to throw to his wide receivers and get and collecting sacks to worry about dumping it off to Duke Johnson. Like tons. So they're all gonna get theirs. I mean, I, I just have that general trouble of saying, like, okay, how how do you divvy up targets between Hopkins, Fuller, and Kute? And all three of them keeping their historical rates, particularly Hopkins. That I have trouble with. I think Duke Johnson will just do fine in there. Um, and get and just basically eat most of what Lamar Miller had. But I don't think Hopkins has anything to worry about there. Maybe maybe Kute, because he's running the short routes, but I always felt like Kute was had to be looking over his shoulder and saying, Am I gonna lose a, a couple of snaps for Duke Johnson? You know, if they wanted to have Lamar Miller and Luke Duke Johnson on the field, you pull off Kute. Now Kute has got a little more rope because I don't think uh, <laughs> I don't think they're going to put Duke Johnson in the slot a ton so they can get Crockett and Higdon and Ferguson in the game. But yeah. we'll see who they pick up. And yeah, JHI, I mean that that only matter for like a game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go across the division. Let's talk Andrew Luck. He announced his retirement on Sunday. And let's get my two quarterback bias out of the way first. I think that in two quarterback formats, you know, two QB super flex dynasty, Chad Kelly should probably be rostered everywhere if he wasn't already. There is, you know, an avenue for him to get that starting gig. Maybe not this year, but potentially next year. Uh, In redraft leagues, I think Kelly still makes for an interesting stash, if only because Jacoby Brissett was so lackluster as the starter two years ago. With that said, Brissett's going to enter the season as the Colts' top option under center. What are your expectations for Jacoby Brissett? He's like the worst QB2. I mean, I feel like uh, Darnold had been my QB2, late QB2 of choice. Um, and I really liked his upside. I think Brissett's like a little bit below there. I feel like he's playing with like Nick Foles and Matthew Stafford. So you, you could stream him. You would, if you had to get a third quarterback, he's a great third quarterback to have in a two QB league. I mean, I think he'll be better off with Reich as OC and this O line is much better. I don't, I still don't see him running. I think he had like 250 yards rushing his in 2017, um, which feels like, yeah, it feels like he could have been a 400-plus yard guy. So, yeah, kind of uninspired, but he's in there as second quarterback, and, yeah, you're going to spill. I think if you're in a 2QB league with luck, you're going to be interesting to see how much you want to spend to get uh, Brissett. The, the fab must flow. And, but, yeah, I, I think Brissett, I'm with you on the general kind of ranking area. You talked about QB 25, 26, maybe something like that around Stafford, Carr, Mariota, Nick Foles. Um, as the starter in 2017, if we ignore the week one game where Scott Tolson started um, and we ignore week 17 because week 17 is trash, Brissett scored 13.8 points per game, which was 27th among quarterbacks that year. He had four top 10 finishes, seven top 20 finishes in those 14 games. He didn't rush for a ton of yards, but he chipped in a little bit, as you noted, about 260 yards across all of his games. Um, If we just isolate, again, those fantasy-relevant games he played, he had about four rushes per game for about 17.5 rushing yards per game. 
I don't necessarily know if we can lean on him as that, you know, rushing Konami code contributor, but if he gets you, you know, 15 to 20 rushing yards per game, that's going to negate some of the turnovers that he's likely to have as well. I think uh, the other silver lining with him is that when he was the starter last, you know, the the images that are going to be fresh in everyone's mind when they're thinking about drafting him in a 2QB league, um, what you might not remember is that he led the league in sacks taken that year with 52. And I think we can expect a, a much better overall situation for Brissett now that Indianapolis has revamped their O-line, like you said, and he has much better weapons to throw the ball to, uh, a better running game, in fact. So I, I think there are actually some positives here for Brissett. He'll probably be a little underrated at first would be my guess. And if he has a couple games, he'll probably then become, if he has a couple good games, I should say, he'll probably become a little overrated. But yeah, I, I don't think we can put too much trust in him now just because we haven't seen it from it before, because we haven't seen it from him before. Um, how far do you think T.Y. Hilton and Marlon Mack should fall or I mean, maybe rise, I guess, uh, with this news uh, of Luck retiring? Well, the thing is you put in with Luck, they passed more than average. And that's beyond the fact that they were leading a lot. And so game script allowed them to run. They were a pass-heavy team, as you could, would want to do when you have Andrew Luck. Um, I think they become more balanced, let's say league average. So that's going to help Mac in volume because he doesn't really have a realistic guy who's sharing carries. He's got Hines to take targets. I think, I think it all ends up being about equal because he's going to, I think Mac maybe, lo- I think he loses a bit of uh, a touchdown or two because Colts won't be as good. They're not going to be in the red zone as often. So I have Mac saying about equal Hilton probably dropping like around maybe two. It's tough when you start putting up next to guys. And yeah, I feel like there's guys like Galladay, Tyler Boyd, Godwin, that are around where Hilton is, and I'd rather have those guys. Yeah, when we talked earlier today um, in our, you know, the phone call to to test you to see if you're ready for this podcast. Yeah, uh, my audition. Yeah, first dry run. <laughs> I, I talked about how I dropped Hilton down to wide receiver 23, and you know, after the conversation that we had, after thinking about it more throughout today. I, I had to push him further down because I started doing that same exercise you were just talking about where I'm comparing Hilton to other guys in my rankings and saying, okay, would I draft Hilton over DJ Moore right now? And I, I don't know if I would. Uh, would I draft him over Christian Kirk? I, I'm not sure I would anymore. And so he kept falling and falling. Uh, he landed at wide receiver 26 for me. I, I might be too low. I might be overreacting here. But the big picture is that there's there's way more unknown with him now. And even if he does put up, you know, numbers that are better than where I have him ranked, I worry that he's going to fall prey to that, you know, Deshaun Jackson syndrome where he's going to have some huge games, but they might not always be when you expect to see them. And it might be frustrating to figure out when you want to start him week to week. I mean, maybe the answer is just play him every week and hope it sorts itself out. But with Brissette quarterback, I just don't know if I can do that. Yeah, I think if I was at a part in a dra- point in a draft where Hilton was clearly my the wide receiver I wanted, I might be going a different position. <laughs> yeah, that I, I yeah I, I'm I'm going to be loath to do that. I, but yeah, I I rank more like whatever the projections say, I go with, and so I still yeah I mean I've got him 19th in PPR. I think that's going to end up being mildly bullish. But yeah, reality is that push comes to shove, I'm probably skipping him. The position that was toughest for me to kind of wrap my brain around with this news were the tight ends for the Colts because 
you know, the last time Brissett was starting in 2017, Jack Doyle racked up 108 targets. That was fifth most in the NFL among tight ends that season, but his 8.63 yards per reception ranked third lowest among the 26 tight ends with at least 50 targets. So Doyle is this low ADOT guy for the Colts, and he was a safety valve for Brissett that season. Maybe Brissett doesn't need a safety valve like that quite as much this year now that the O-line is better. And furthermore, you know, Eric Ebron is in town. Devin Funches is in town. There are a lot more guys. Mo Alley-Cox. Don't forget. (laughs) Yeah, I just see these guys also competing with Doyle for playing time in the first place to where we really can't expect that same level of production for Doyle. And at first I didn't want to move him down because I'm like, oh, well, last time he was with Brissett, he was a target hog. This is another one where I've kind of softened since this morning. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking that both these guys, Doyle and Ebron, and maybe even the third guy, Mo Cox, they're probably all just undraftable for the same reason that we don't really want Hilton, which is because of the unknown, because there's opportunity costs associated with drafting all these guys. Like We might just look to a different position if those tight ends happen to be the top guys on our board. Um, where do you fall on the tight ends for Indy? I mean, Ebron gets hit the worst on this one. It's not even close because Ebron is is probably more than just about any player in the NF in fantasy football dependent on touchdowns. And not only did Luck love throwing a, does Dizzy love throwing a tight ends for touchdowns, but uh, uh, Andrew Luck led Colt team is going to throw for a lot more touchdowns. So it's just you're talking about a shrinking pie, and then maybe Ebron's share. Of touch of pass touchdowns is down. So Ebron, I've knocked down a bunch. I've got him as TE15, well below where his ADP was. Yeah, his ADP had been up like TE8, I think, maybe TE9. I think he's going to come. That's going to naturally come down. He now he's just in that category of like, if I'm playing in one, I'll take him if you're going to give him to me really cheap. But I'd rather not on Ebron. I don't see the upside. Doyle, you're right. He he has gotten his share of targets over the years. I don't hate him. I've got him around that TE15. But, yeah, it's kind of with Hilton. I mean, that unknown only seems to have downside to me. <laughs> um, so I'm probably just shying away from those indie tight, tight ends unless, like, everyone else plays chicken with me and I'm in a deeper league. And then, yeah, sure, really late, but... There's just no, I don't see the upside. Yeah, sounds about right. Now, I want to dig a little deeper into projecting the tight end position with you. But first, let's take a break for our sponsor. Fantasy football season is here and 4 for 4 has partnered up with DraftKings to bring you any of our memberships for free. All you have to do is go to 4for4.com slash DraftKings and follow the instructions. That's right. You'll get our optimal lineups, custom waiver pickups, draft analyzer software, trade evaluator, and all the other great features of the 4 for 4 memberships, all for 5 bucks, And the best part is you can then take that 5 bucks and enter it into DraftKings contests to potentially win even more. We're super excited to bring you this deal, so if you want access right away, go to 4for4.com slash DraftKings and follow the instructions. All right, Rudy, let's get back into it. When you do your projections for Rasball, are tight ends more difficult to project than other positions, easier to project for than other positions? Because I see the position having a higher risk of injury than other spots, and the dual usage that tight ends get as both blockers and receivers means that snaps don't always necessarily correlate directly to targets in the passing game. These guys might be on the field, but they might not be seeing the ball thrown at them. What do you think about this position relative to others in terms of projections from a snaps and playing time perspective, which is where you start. 
tight ends are easier than running backs and wide receivers. I think there's, you know, there's some pretty clear roles and archetypes. You know, there, you got a few guys that'll play every down, but you've got teams with, you know, that, that are share, that have shares. You know, sometimes it's three people sharing a position. Um, I find like the roles solidify pretty quickly. Projecting playing time and in general knowing what type of tight end, you know, is he a pass catcher versus a blocker? That stuff you see within like, couple games you, you get a, a pretty good feel for the biggest challenge with projecting them is if you're trying to look at things like accuracy of fantasy points tight ends is the worst uh, yeah. <laughs> it's way worse than running backs and wide receivers because their volume is just lower in terms of the predictable stats so receptions if it's ppr yards and if anything tight ends score a decent amount of touchdowns so you you and which has so much variance to it so on a week-to-week basis once you get past the first couple it feels like a dart throw it's not i mean if you ran if the game's played a thousand times i think they would look like maybe a lot more like the consensus rankings but i mean they get injured enough just playing once yeah, so and there's only so much time in a day. So <laughs> the projections just it, it, that it, it feels really tough, but the reality is it isn't. It's just the odds don't come in as as much because there's so much variance. That, yeah, that makes um, sense. Yeah, no, the thing is like things like rookie tight ends. It's extremely difficult to project a breakout, and that's because the norm is that it takes that that first year is so rough. And like, I mean, we, there's so many guys, like by the second or third year, you're sick of their name. Like I got like in, in a draft, I got like Mike Jasicki in the 20th round of a 12 team league. And it was just like, yeah, cause everyone was sick of hearing his name for a year and a half. Like, oh, he's going to break out on Miami. They don't have any other tight ends. It's like, well, they found out a way they found someone else to use, I guess, cause he <laughs> didn't do anything last year. So you almost start with this norm that rookie tight ends aren't going to do anything. And if they surprise you, great, but don't invest much in them. And it feels like that's the norm. Like, if there was going to be hype, you think it would be on Fant and Hawkinson. You don't have to stretch your imagination to come up with a case why they should be doing well. <laughs> but, yeah, that now that they're, they're stuck in that heap of, like, between TE15 and TE25, yeah, you could take, like, I don't mind throwing a late round pick and maybe just maybe they're the unicorn uh that kittle is yeah but even kittle wasn't there in his first year so and i remember all the hype there and yeah i feel so it's really just yeah avoid rookie tight ends and then give it some thought on the second the second year um like i said yeah the the jasicki it's like yeah now you're getting him for free so which player or situation have you had kind of the toughest time pinning down this season with your projections Oh, Mark Andrews, man. He, yeah. I had, he's bounced everywhere from like TE8 to TE22. And what it, what it is, I was saying before, like there's like certain like archetypes and it's, it's good to think of it. Like not, don't think of every tight end or every player just as like they're unique. Cause that leads you to bias. So you say, okay, what is Mark Andrews? And it's like, Mark Andrews is, a pass catching tight end when he plays if he unless he becomes like a, a starter whatever down, whatever downs he's playing whatever situations are going to be skew heavily pass 
even on a team like Baltimore, which definitely caps his upside or his ceiling. And so the problem is you look at a guy like Andrews and you say, well, he did so well in that role. I think he's going to play more. And maybe I up his snaps like 20%. Okay, well, if he plays more, whatever that 20% boost is going to be a lot more run heavy. Sure. And thus, he can't get as many targets. You know, we, we talk a lot of, I mean, I think there's a lot of talk about rates and shares, like, oh, market share and target rate and all like that stuff. So I, I do think like that. I think target rate per snap is really important. For a guy like that, I, I got to the point where I, I found out for that archetype, okay, if they have a certain percentage of targets, if they're getting targeted a lot and you're expecting this boost versus past things, you've got to tamp it down. You've got to almost like regress the rest and say, like, I don't care what you did on the first ones. I'm going to give you like league average for whatever's next to balance it out. Um, and then when you look like, like who else was the Mark Andrews? I found the other guy who had been my crush in the early preseason, which was Gerald Everett. Gerald Everett was more Mark Andrews than Mark Andrews. <laughs> he, he had an incredibly high target rate for the snaps he played. You know, it's kind of under the radar because he, he didn't really play a ton until Cup got hurt. But he and he <laughs> maybe catch a lot of them, but he was getting targeted a bunch. He looked like this great mismatch. So now that I've got that in place, and I feel like, you know, so I, I have them now where I said Andrews eight to twenty two. He's like closer to twenty two. And so, yeah, apologies if anyone used my things to draft him early. But now, now him and Everett are now my like these great like dark horses uh, more Everett because Andrews there's hype on but there's not an Everett it's like okay I'll take this guy as my TE2 and yeah th- there's a there's a world where he does really well uh, gets red zone targets because it's not like any of the wide receivers in the Rams screams red zone to me um, and they're going to score a lot of touchdowns and at some point McVay maybe has like another wrinkle to, to the three wide receiver blocking tight end, uh, one running back. Well, and there's been some buzz that he's going to mix up his personnel a little bit more this year than he has in years past, and that could bode very well for Everett. Now, when a player like that kind of surprises you with their projected finish in your projection numbers, do you ever revise your projections, or how do you revise them based upon unexpected results like that? Or does that just kind of defeat the purpose of doing projections in the first place? What do you think? Oh my god, I, I I'm iterating all the time, and I I love, well I don't love, but the unexpected results are critical. Every time I redo them, you know, one of the things I like about the process of putting them on Fantasy Pros because Fantasy Pros does not pay me, so there's reasons why I, I don't love it. Yeah. Um, I I love keeping my readers on Rasball informed, but one of the the great things about putting it to the Fantasy Pros tool. It, it, it's telling me immediately, like, who did I, who did I go, who rose in the ranks on my latest run, who went down, how does that compare to ADP? And I'm searching that for, like, who moved up and down, did I mean it to? Does that, is that, is that artificial or real? And, you know, should I dig in on why that happened? Um, and a good amount of times when I dig in, it's like, yeah, I could, I found an improvement, like the Mark Andrews thing. The question, when when you're that divergent from everyone else is it's not that you double down and you like get into a trench and try to have it's like no you should really question everything and once you go through and really doubt yourself and 
And if you could then convince yourself that that's right, then you feel like that much bolder. You don't necessarily have to be a, a troll about it. <laughs> uh, Good advice. Uh, but like, yeah, so there's guys that have gone through that. And yeah, the guys like D.D. Westbrook, where I feel like great on him. I'm like, I think he's a top 20 wide receiver. Um, I would rank, you know, like I would say I'd rank him equal with guys that are going four rounds ahead. Yeah, like the market's moved on him. Maybe that's extreme. And that's why I can get him for a round or two cheaper. Yeah, but that same process helped with like the Mark Andrews. I came up with, okay, now I could see that there's a few different players like this. Darren Waller might be that type. He played so little, it's hard to say. Um, Vance McDonald is it to a slight extent. Yeah, a pass catching tight end. You know, you knock hit. Yeah, I've, I've took him down just ever so slightly because if he goes from 50% of, to 70% of snaps. Now I've got this thing that the next time this guy comes into play, I don't have to think about it. It's all going to be good. You know, so every case is the an opportunity to find that suboptimal part of your model and and improve it. Yeah, I like that. Now, I want to pivot a little bit from talking about projecting, you know, fantasy point totals to projecting dollar values for auction drafts because I think auction is one of those formats that probably gets underserved at large by the fantasy you know, analyst community, and especially on podcast, how is projecting a point total different than projecting a dollar value for you? Uh, I know you do more with this stuff in baseball, but uh, l- let's try to talk about football and, and how you would, you know, apply the lessons you learned from, uh, you know, point total projections into creating, you know, dollar values for a cheat sheet in an auction. Yeah, I, I, I there's definitely some I've, I've dove way too deep uh, in baseball, and I came up. Yeah, I got had the, I got over the bends from it, <laughs> uh, but as I've done more and more kind of drafts, as I get kind of my mind gets more open, I think the biggest challenge with auction values and this it's not even the same as with rankings and tiers because there's there's that what happens with auction values is it locks you in this feeling of every dollar above the value on your sheet. Um, then I'm hoping that's a spreadsheet for most people, but I understand some people are analog. Every dollar feels painful. That's the part where I've kind of dug in and been like, rethought how I, I handle it. From a methodology standpoint, I think the predominant thinking in baseball, but even more football is replacement value driven dollar values. Um, it makes sense in football. It doesn't make much sense in baseball and i've kind of railed against it and i feel like i'm getting the crowd coming with me they're not gonna write out wikipedia or anything but i know um but on the on the football side it's like yeah replacement value makes sense i mean super flex and um two qb leagues extra flexes doesn't have to be super flex but all those formats i really like um i've got you know um friend online and i think in real life but we've only met once scott pianowski uh waxes like years he's been about like ad flexes it adds more skill start more players yeah and i'm totally on board and yeah it's like i feel like just um this morning it came to me i I was talking to this you know wonderful conversationalist and i was like here's this is the perfect balance if the replacement value of your quarterback, running back, and wide receiver in your league should be equal. The fact that they're different and they're historically wildly different, you have to discount quarterbacks amazingly. 
In one in one quarterback format, you mean, right? In the one quarterback format, yeah. Complete utter flaw, because this is what's happened in baseball. That in baseball, just everyone can hit a home run, <laughs> and no one steals a base. So every pitcher, every position but catcher, has like pretty much the same replacement value, and it opens it up. That the thing is, you're drafting players in a meritocratic way. You know, in a perfect world, you know, maybe Mahomes should be going higher. I certainly didn't love in our mock draft how late quarterbacks went. I it, it feels artificial. So, so one thing would be yeah, the replacement value is like it's it it's necessary in leagues where there's such divergent replacement values available on waivers. But I think the other part. So that gets into the math. But the other part's the philosophy of like, okay, what am I gonna you know like how do I act in an auction? How do I want to act? What I don't want to act is scared, and what I don't want to act is like not. I, I want to be confident. So the, the, there's only two ways to think, or there's only a couple ways to think when like you've got a guy at thirty bucks and he goes for forty. There's there's the confident, which says like the super confident is like you guys are idiots. <laughs> you got this. You guys are just overbidden, and I'm gonna clean up later. Or like you know, oh my god, did I get something wrong? Everything like that. You know, what I found is that I started asking myself questions. And when people would ask me for dollar values, I'd ask them questions. And it's like, okay, well, how shallow or deep is your league? Um, and how active are you going to be at recruiting at, um, picking up guys during the season? And, you know, my baseball philosophy, and it's less with football because I, I don't play as much, you know, I don't have as many leagues, but my thinking is like, you know, I'm going to play really hard during the season. I want to, uh, there's advantages to be gained by just grinding every week. When you think like that, that means the last third of your roster is fungible because there's going to be better guys. You don't want to fall in love with them. If, any, if anything, you want to make sure that you don't have this super deep team that you love because then you never cut anybody. You sit on guys and be like, oh, it's going to be like this sixth week, and you're like, I don't know if I could cut Mohamed Sanu. He's, he, he had a 70-yard game two, year, two weeks ago. It's basically moved me to the stars and scrub guy that's like, okay, I want to come up with ways to throw more money at the, the top guys. I want to be the guy that's bidding maybe $40. And I want people in the room to be thinking, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Because there's a madness or there's a method behind the madness. There's a madness behind the method. wouldn't make as much sense. It's, it's just like – yeah, I, I really don't – if I don't get the top three tight ends at a price I like, and maybe that extends more, I'm going to take a tight end – I'm going to take a tight end for a dollar. I'm going to take a flex for a dollar maybe. But I want to spend like a ton and have two stud wide receivers, one of the top three running backs, and and that might be how I want to enter a draft. It's like thinking like that, you'll make the money work. But when – People see it as like, well, here's projected points. Here's a formula for the dollars. I don't think that's really – you're locking yourself in to like making these decisions that the best case scenario is you have a super deep team. Yeah, it's it's only a starting point with a dollar value cheat sheet. And that's, I think, the thing that most people have a hard time wrapping their brain around. In general, I think that Stars and Scrubs has become the dominant draft strategy in auctions for all sports in fantasy. And what that does is it pushes values, like big values, into the second half of the draft, right? Once people have spent, you know, exorbitant amounts for the star players or the stud players. 
And I think that with that in mind, it is important to try to save a little bit more than your opponents for the end game. So when all they can more. make are $1 bids, you can just go over the top for $2. But the fact is, is that because it's such a prominent strategy, as a drafter, you have to play into that yourself and understand that, okay, if I want the studs, I have to pay market value. And so early in an auction, I'm probably not bidding or buying players unless they end up really close to my actual dollar projection. But it's not because I don't want to overspend. What it is is I want to see where the market sets on players. I want to be ready to adjust the dollar values that I came into the auction with because whether or not you know I believe a certain player is worth something, if that player goes for 50 bucks and then another player in the same tier goes for 55, if I had those guys proje- projected for a lower dollar amount, it doesn't matter because the market believes something else. And I live in that market for that draft. And that's something I think that a lot of people kind of miss out on is keeping track of what other players are actually going for. And so I recommend that when you have your spreadsheet open or your analog cheat sheet, when a player gets bought, even if you didn't buy him, write down the price that he went for next to his name so that you can refer back to that and compare it to you know who's left and say, okay, well, if... I want to get one of those second-tier running backs, and Joe Mixon went for 44. Devonta Freeman went for 40, but I only have Aaron Jones and Kerryon Johnson projected for like $35, $36. I'm not going to get them for that. Straight away, I have to be willing to up my price on those players to get them onto my roster, and the easiest way to see that is by keeping track of what other players are being bought for. All right, so thanks for letting me, uh, you know, divert there into uh, auction strategy for a little while. Like I said, I think it's a little underserved. Uh, we're going to dive deep into uh, tight ends. This is the tight end show, believe it or not. Uh, but before we do, one more break for our sponsor. Fantasy football fans, listen up. Do you want to prove yourself in the biggest NFL season-long tournament ever? Of course you do. If you love fantasy football, and we know you do, then you want to enter the $3.5 million best ball championship on draft. That's right, $3.5 million, real money, on the line, this tourney is big, here's how drafts best ball contests work. It's season long, but with no management. You set it, and then you forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire, no setting lineups. Your best players are automatically selected each week, and you'll get the best possible score, guaranteed. These are live snake drafts, no salary caps, just like you play with your friends in home leagues, and there's no better place to play than draft because you can draft a team anytime you want. They start every couple minutes. Just do one of these best balls and you could be a millionaire 16 weeks later. Draft makes it that easy. To download the app, just search Draft in the App Store or Play Store or play right from your computer on Draft.com. Either way, you can be drafting your first best ball championship team within minutes of signing up. And right now, all new players get a free entry into a best ball when they make their first deposit. Simply use the promo code 444, the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4, and you'll get to play in a real money game for free. All you have to do is search Draft in your App Store or go to draft.com and use the promo code 4 for 4 All right, we're back. Let's talk about the biggest tight end offseason stories. You know, drafters need to kind of figure out where they stand on, you know, the key developments from preseason, from training camp. And I want to start with Travis Kelsey and not necessarily anything that popped up for him, but when the news broke that Tyreek Hill would not be suspended, how did that affect your evaluation of Travis Kelsey? I mean, much like with Tyreek, it's, there was just very little consequences uh, when it came to Kelsey. Um, yeah, I published a piece earlier in the month on the Bucks. It was looking at vacated targets because every article that was like maybe touting Godwin, um, he got touted a bit. This, uh, yeah, you don't say. Uh, you might. Yeah, I don't know if you read anything, but I don't know if you're online. Uh, but um, it was always, oh well, Humphreys and Jackson are gone. And there's you know some 
large number of targets. And yeah, what I basically found was that unless you adjust your snaps, which you would for Godwin, um, I like Godwin, but if, if you're playing around the same amount of snaps, it doesn't matter. So the thing is like for Mike Evans, I don't see him getting any more targets, even though you've got Humphreys and Deshaun Jackson gone and you've got like, I don't know, a couple of scarecrows. I don't know. I, I, I there's some guy named Perryman. I believe he was a first round pick. Don't remind me. It's it's. I mean, the, it's ridiculous how unownable the rest of the the Bucks are. It's not going to matter for Evans. So um, basically, Kelsey is like the same thing. Kelsey's like pretty much at his ceiling. They could force him a bit more. I mean, like think like Ertz last year, but you don't. That doesn't typically happen with a very good quarterback. I think if if Hill wasn't playing. Hardman would be a, a, a wonder, a beneficiary, mainly because of the snaps. And they'd spread it around a bit more, but I, I don't think it would be going to, uh, Kelsey. He, but before, when I was thinking there would be a suspension, Kelsey was tight end one. After there wasn't a suspension, he was tight end one. You know, as long as he doesn't get, him or Mahomes don't get hurt, I think he'll stay tight end one. So what are you doing with Trey Burton? Because he is not expected to play in the preseason and, that sort of late season injury that he suffered, like he was injured in the playoffs, essentially, worries me. I, I do not want to deal with players who are coming back from injury because they are the ones more at risk of becoming re-injured or having some sort of compensation in- injury. Do you think that Burton is worth drafting at his current cost? You know, not really. I'm not a big fan of him. I'm looking where I've got, I, I've got him actually at tight end 18, which is a little bit below ADP. I think I think the consensus is a little higher on him, but probably comes down with any injury news. You know, I just don't see a lot of upside here. He had a lot of snaps last year. I still haven't projected for a decent amount of snaps. The target rate isn't... I just don't see him getting, like, a, a huge share of the targets. He's in that group of, like, I've got guys... He's grouped in with Jimmy Graham and Jordan Reed and Kyle Rudolph and... And then, like, more sexy guys like Hawkinson and Everett and Waller and stuff like that. I, I find it easy to pass on Burton. But, I don't know, it could be if, – if he was really falling, I'd take him. But there's not much there. It just feels like once you get past that first eight, where there's almost perfect consensus, after that, it's complete chaos for me. Like, whatever I have is a little bit different than everyone else. And so it's like, okay, I either get one of the eight or I wait till the last – you know, the 20th tight end off the board. There's no reason for me to draft anything in between. So one of the last vestiges of that top eight is Jared Cook. Uh, He left Oakland for New Orleans, and I would expect most people to have him pegged for a little bit more efficiency on a little bit fewer targets. Like, he really was targeted a lot in Oakland. I'm curious how you've adjusted your sliders and your expectations for Jared Cook uh, in his new location. Um, What's the story there? Well, he was, I mean, he actually was quite efficient, which is surprising given he was in Oakland. Um, I think it was like nine yards a target last year, uh, which is probably was due to regress a little bit. Um, I've got him at around 8.6, even with the better quarterback and playing indoors. I agree. I think his targets go down a bit. Um, he didn't have Michael Thomas on his team or Kamara. He had, you know, half of a, Amari Cooper season. So I, I think that was a peak in his volume, but I kind of, I, I have him slightly increasing in touchdowns. He was a good red zone target. New England, uh, New Orleans didn't have 
doesn't really have a guy who screams red zone target. So I like him there. Right now I've got Cook and Engram in like like I, where it's this consensus six. It's like I think I Cook and Engram about the same. I probably would take Engram just because I'm a Giant fan and you know there's the hope that some he, the guy plays 16 games. But I think like Cook's a total buy. You know I, I think as tight end seven that's that's really good value. How about Cook's replacement in Oakland? Have you joined the cult of Darren Waller this offseason? Well, like I said, like, it's it's crazy. In my model, I, I ignore week 17. And then I was looking at I, – I thought I thought Waller looked a little buried. Um, and I was digging into it. And it's like, did he have three targets last year between week <laughs> one and week 16? Why are we talking about this guy? Like I said, I, I think um, clearly Carr likes throwing – to tight ends um the antonio brown is is a big variable just because he could suck so many targets out but um yeah i'd consider waller as kind of he's another wild card i don't mind the reality is like taking darren waller over jack doyle would be on average it's 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 not a good move in my eyes but on average jack doyle's not winning your league so i don't mind taking like a swing on that waller wouldn't be my i would take gerald everett or Mark Andrews over him any day of the week. And I think I'd I'd rather roll with either the Iowa tight ends, Iowa rookies, um, and just hope like maybe, you know, as the season goes on, something triggers. I mean, because you, you can imagine with, let's say, Detroit, uh, if they trade Marvin Jones. Do, who's the third wide re- Oh, no, they have Amendola. I was going to quiz on like who the third <laughs> wide receiver is. Don't put me on the spot like that. So so when Amendola gets hurt, and then like if Gala, if they trade Marvin Jones – it's like, yeah, I could see Hawkinson totally doing well there. Yeah, I guess that's the sort of pa- picture I'm painting for Waller is they have Antonio Brown, and, and if Brown is playing and healthy, he's going to soak up a ton of targets. But beyond Brown, I don't trust Derek Carr to get the ball to Tyrell Williams down the field. Carr's never been one to throw it deep. In fact, that's part of why Carr was so prolific with Jared Cook last year. I, I should say it the other way around. Cook was so prolific right. with Jared Carr, Derek Carr. Right. I'm just, now I'm just mixing up all the names. But yeah. I, I see this scenario for Waller where he's just in the right place at the right time, kind of regardless of his previous track record. And that's why I'm intrigued by him. I agree with you about Doyle. Like I would rank him behind Doyle, but not much further. I, I think I'm willing to take the dart throw on him more than most people because there are so few qualified pass catchers in that offense and because all of the buzz out of Raiders camp is that he's been great and like you said if you if you draft him there there's not a whole lot of opportunity costs it's not like you have to pay a premium to get Darren Waller in fact you can pass on other mediocre tight ends and still get Waller later Uh, and I think that 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 also makes him appealing as I can you know make that dart throw in round 15 instead of in round 10 on you know whoever else it is and that's important to me so I, I I'm in on Waller but I agree that the risk is is huge. Like you, you definitely need to temper your expectations right. if you draft him. He's not a world beater yet. I mean, maybe he will be, but uh, we're gonna have to wait and find out. For sure. I mean, the more you talk about, it, the more it gets into like, you know, at a certain point, unless like one of those top tight ends really falls, it just screams. Just draft two of these guys that you like. I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter which two you like. You know, like even think about like the Howard Henry Ankrum tier. You're, you could get a really good wide receiver then, and maybe it feels like a luxury because it's your third or fourth wide receiver. But the more you think about it, the more like, well, I'd rather just take a shot on two tight ends at the end than like a wide receiver, mate. 
Well, right, because that fourth wide receiver you pick up could potentially fill in for three different starters that you have, whereas that tight end is only filling one spot on your roster and only helping you at one spot on your roster. And if you're paying up for a tight end there, you're going to have to play catch-up at wide receiver running back later in the draft, and that's fine. Like that, That's a right. reasonable approach, but... then you don't necessarily have the luxury to take another tight end because you already spent too much draft capital or or high draft capital, I should say, on, you know, one of the good ones, quote unquote. And yeah, I I think that that's the the fundamental line in the sand when it comes to tight end draft strategy is, are you willing to pay up for a known commodity and give up something to do that? Or do you just throw your hands up and say, screw it, I'll just roll the dice on some random guys in the later rounds? And I typically fall on the second half of that spectrum. I'm, I'm the the tight end bargain basement shopper, but every once in a while I'll have a draft where, yeah, I'll pay up for Hunter Henry or O.J. Howard or Evan Ingram or, or maybe even Zach Ertz. Like I, I had Ertz right. fall to me at the end of the third round in a draft. It was uh, the 4 for mock draft that I wrote up um, that you participated in. And when he's sitting there at 310, I'm like, well, one, it's a mock draft. Two, like, let's see how this goes. Like, when Ertz becomes a, a quote-unquote value, when he falls that far below his ADP, what does my team look like? And, I mean, you don't necessarily always want to do that with the teams that you're after actually drafting, like, to be competitive. Right. But, I, I don't know, sometimes, you know, pouncing on that type of value is exactly what you need to do to win. I, I don't know. It's it's fun. I, I think that tight end is fascinating for that reason. Um, I got one more player I want to ask you about before we get into some more general kind of draft strategy for the position, Rudy. And that's Mark Andrews. He's, like Darren Waller, been dra- drawing a lot of rave reviews this offseason. Um, are you in on Andrews? Because you talked about how he's tough to project. Uh, I, I, I'd like the, I like what I saw last year. But like you said earlier, there's just not necessarily the clear path to more targets for him that I see. Yeah, it's. I mean, I love the upside. Like at where I, I mean, right now I have him at tight end twenty three in a PPR. And it, it bound to change. I have him right next to Gerald Everett. And I actually have Waller now a little bit ahead of both of them just because of playing time. Um, I don't mind it if, if it was like, you know, a league where everyone's drafting one tight end and he's like, the, you want to move him up to 15 or so. I don't mind it. it it's just really tough with his, with a, a, a team that's not going to pass a lot and with a seemingly a, a cap on his playing time. It's tough to see what the uh, the upside. You, it almost is that you need Nick Boyle to get hurt or to fail in order for them to just say screw it. We're going to throw Mark Andrews out there seventy percent of the time. Just that would knock him up into like a top ten tight end. But in lieu of that, if he's playing forty percent of the time, you've got a good floor, um, and it could be a playable floor, but. There's just no ceiling. He, he he hit the ceiling for what you can do in that limited amount of playing time. All right, so let's move on to the top six of tight ends. Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, George Kittle, O.J. Howard, Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, in some order. I, I think I loosely listed them how they're going in ADP. Uh, Kittle might be ahead of Ertz at this point. Ertz is getting a lot of flack. I, um, yeah. I, I, underst- I understand it, but I at the same time, I think... It's probably gone a little too far at this point. But anyway, which of those top six do you think is the most likely to bust this season for fantasy drafters based upon where they're being drafted? Yeah, I mean, I think the top three are, are solid. I got Ertz like middle of the fourth round in a, in a PPR draft. Best ball. I, yeah, I just took it. I didn't really even think too much. And the more I think about it, the more I love it. And that it's like, oh, my God, I've got like such a high floor for tight end every week. 
I, I didn't really have to invest as much in tight end after that, or I could, I, I definitely um, could pick more upside and more, you know, risk to try to, to match on it and draft other positions where I would. But um, yeah, I agree with you on, he's getting too much flack. But I look at the top six, the guy that if I, I look at those next three, the Hunter Henry Howard, uh, and Engram, and I have them in that order right now. The thing is, all three of them have have, have injury concerns, right? I, mm-hmm. They all have a, a certain amount of risk that's just in there. I wouldn't say it's built into their ADP. It's, but uh, Howard's the one that scares me most. So it's less about the durability because, like I said, all three uh, have not shown that. It's more he's never had the high volume. He's got great yards per target, but both in Alabama and his first year, he. He didn't get have get targeted to any crazy amounts. Um, in order for him to pay off at TE6, he needs to get targeted well. He's got quarterback that likes tight ends more, I think, in the red zone. You know, he's got an offensive coordinator and head coach that really like throwing to wide receivers and, and haven't shown a bias toward tight ends. And he's got two wide receivers that are going to eat. I could see a scenario where Arians just doesn't force it into Howard. Aaron and Leftwich don't force it into him. And he has a good year. But you look at it at the end of the year, like, why did I think this guy was better than Cook and McDonald? <laughs> Would I, why did I think he was going to do markedly better than Greg Olson? And I don't think that scenario is that far-fetched because – you need an, it's so much riskier in, in everything to project someone to do something he's ne- they've never done before. Yeah. I think that all of these top six guys have some argument to be made that they could bust. I think with the top three guys, Kelsey, Kittle, and Ertz, it is just based upon the price alone. Like the opportunity cost you pay to get them. If they have, you know, even if like a tight end eight season, like, well, that's still, oh. you know, you're better than most. Like that's failure. You know, that's, that's, not working yeah. for the owner who paid a second round or first round price for those players. Uh, I think that Ertz has some downside based upon the you know extra target competition he'll have this year, but I don't know. At this point, like I said, I, I don't see it. I have a feeling he's still going to get plenty of targets. Uh, oh, Howard, for all the reasons you talked about, Engram is probably the most worrisome to me just because I think that Giants offense might be so bad that even if he you know delivers in PPR with you know he, he could just be Jack Doyle. You know what I mean? If they don't score enough touchdowns and if he's not involved on enough of those scoring plays, I think he could be or feel like a bust relative to where people are drafting him. It seems to me that Kittle is probably the safest feeling one to me because he doesn't carry the huge price tag that Kelsey does. Uh, You you can often get Kittle at the end of the second round or maybe early third. Uh, I couldn't. I wish. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Kittle there is great. The Kelsey price, I'm with you, is like you're you're paying retail. Um, and it's a little scary with a tight end. So if we get outside of the top six, and, and actually, why don't we throw Vance McDonald and Jaron Cook in there? Yeah. Because those two are kind of the locked in next tier. Who are your favorite targets outside of that group? Uh, like, which guys are you looking at as values? Um, we, we've talked about Mark Andrews. Uh, is there anybody else that stands out to you? If I go with the philosophy that after those top eight, I want to stay away. So guys like Najoku, they're they're going around there. Yeah, at this point, I'd say Mark Andrews is getting drafted in this this nine to fifteen bucket. I don't want anything to do with it. Um, so the values, the guys that are falling that I'm liking as TE two and TE three, um, and drafting are 
I can't believe I'm saying this, Greg Olson. Yeah. Uh, ideally with an, e, an Ian Thomas combo. You know, and I've drafted Ian Thomas alone. I think I drafted him in Rasbol without Olsen, but I've drafted Olsen in another league. Um, I like the Carolina situation. Olsen's healthy right now. You know, he's running around well, but I mean, he has foot issues. He's he he had what he's got one injured foot and the other one's in the in the booth. But um, <laughs> again, that's it's a it's a thing where it's like you could say all the stuff about him being old and all that stuff. It's like. With yeah, he, he's been a really reliable tight end, and can still be one in the red zone as well with with uh, Cam. So I, I, I like that one. Gerald Everett's another that is free. I just don't see any difference between Gerald Everett and Mark Andrews, and I, I think Everett has probably a better shot of picking up playing time than Mark Andrews does at this point because Higby's just in there to block, and that offense is designed around like intelligent passing and like i said yeah if they come up with anything with two tight end sets that actually you you know use their great play action game to throw to tight ends oh all of a sudden you see like ever with like a not like crazy line but it, you know him having like seven or eight touchdowns isn't out of the question all of a sudden that ends up being like a top 10 tight end i like that you brought up olsen because i feel like one of those old dudes is going to get there this year, whether it's Olsen or Jimmy Graham, Kyle Rudolph, Delaney Walker. I, I just don't know which one of those guys it's going to be. And I feel like all of those players have ceilings that are somewhat capped. We know who they are as players. And I mean, we've yep. seen Olsen be a top five tight end, a top three tight end in the past. I just don't think that he's there yet anymore. I, with that in mind, tend to look for players who might be on the way up when I'm looking for these tight end values or tight end sleepers, whatever you want to call yeah. them. So I, I was looking at Jack Doyle as one of those guys. I'm not so much anymore now that Luck is retired. Uh, the ones that jump out to me are Austin Hooper, and he does come with a bit more of a price tag. Like You probably have to draft him as yeah. the tight end 9, tight end 10, but I like that offense. I like that they play 13 of their games in a dome this year. In general, they probably want to be running the ball a little bit more, which means that hopefully he can stay on the field as you know that blocker slash you know on play action stuff kind of like what you're talking about with Gerald Everett getting more passes that way um and then the other one is Darren Waller I I just can't get away from him man I, I think that you know if all the hype is real that this could be a, a pretty interesting and impressive story uh like I said there's a ton of risk with it um the the only other guy who kind of stood out to me in this vein was Chris Herndon and I was in on him early in the offseason now I'm avoiding right because I'm just assuming that whoever drafts him is going to end up dropping him at some point during his four game suspension like those backup tight ends are the first players to get cut when waivers need to run and suspended players are often the first players to get cut when you need to make a pickup in week one or week two so I'm not touching Chris Herndon I'm letting somebody else draft him but I'm keeping an eye on him you know with my watch list or whatever else to maybe consider picking him up once that suspension is closer to being over yeah, I'd say the one thing with Herndon, yeah, the the red flag for me is that they changed offensive coordinators, hmm. and Gase just didn't throw to the tight. I mean, he did when he uh, he led Peyton Manning toward that great season, um, <laughs> but that was all Gase. Tannehill would not be led. Um, yeah, so yeah, the the Herndon, oh, keeping a guy on your bench for the first five weeks is brutal because I don't, I think they have the buy on week five. So you have five weeks you're holding on to him. So yeah, I think I think people are um, a little too clever by half with the Herndon plus X combo. Yeah, you just don't want to use your bench space like that. It's not really worth it. Now, 
if we have to go even deeper, if I'm talking about a complete Hail Mary, like maybe a, a tight end three and a best ball or just some super deep format, which I know that you've drafted a couple of, Rudy, who's yeah. the tight end that owners can look for if they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel? Yeah, I, I, again, I, I kind of got a situation and tried to Yeah, I think um, Jacksonville's a good situation. I think um, Foles is, just likes pummeling the tight end and the slot guy. Um, I think that's the reason why Zach Ertz piled up some stats last year. Uh, one of the reasons. So Jeff Swaim, uh, who they got from the Cowboys, seems pretty entrenched as the TE one. They've got an, a rookie, uh, Josh Oliver, that I haven't been able to pull the trigger on him in 34 rounds. <laughs> so that would, I don't know what draft that would have to be before I'm drafting Josh Oliver, but I like I, I like Swaim there. I think it's like just thinking more on. Um, yeah, situations and depth charts. Uh, on this one, I did. I ended up with a TE four going with Vanit, you know, versus like a Josh Oliver because Swain was already off the board. Just because it's like well, that's a floor. I think the Seattle guys are really interesting for that reason. Yeah. We, when we talked earlier, we noted how it might be just a situation where each tight end there gets you know a third of the work, and that's that would be bad for fantasy owners, but. If one of them gets hurt, if one of them just performs that much better to the point where the coaches have to keep them on the field, like there aren't enough good receiving options left in Seattle for them to be picky about their tight end. They need a tight end out there who can right. catch at least some of the time. And so whether that's Disley or Vanette, uh, th- there could be some value there. They definitely made my list for deep sleepers here. Now I'm with you because, yeah, Baldwin Baldwin was kind of like a, a – sh- they need someone. I, I don't see uh... – like that's another one where they talk about vacated targets and oh well they're gonna incorporate Tyler Lockett more. It's like, but that's not what makes Tyler Lockett great. You like you go deep to Tyler Lockett. You know don't yeah you know, I mean you can incorporate him a little bit. You need to find someone in the intermediate and to excel for that team to be like a Doug Baldwin. And yeah, that's not on the roster right now as far as I can tell. So yeah, you're right. Tight ends would be a good uh, substitute for it or poor substitute. It's either that or CJ Procise. <laughs> is JD McKissick around? Yeah, I mean, either way, like no matter who it is, it's going to feel like the apocalypse in Seattle. I or I, Chris I, Carson. <laughs> Chris Carson targets are up. Chris Carson playing from the slot. Yeah, well, Rashard Penny, maybe he's good at that. Yeah, just convert him to tight end. There you go. It's problem solved. <laughs> the Penny Truthers get their guy, and he has dual eligibility, Jalen Samuel style. That 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 could be the solution here. Um, he, couple, he's, a couple. He's a first. He's a first round. He's a first round talent. Couple more names I want to throw out here. Uh, first is Jordan Thomas of the Texans. I know you talked about the co- target competition between all those wide receivers, and now we're adding Duke Johnson to the mix. But right. Thomas looked pretty good last year uh, in the limited time that he did play. I think that there's potential that now with Lamar Miller out, they just become a really pass happy team, uh, almost along the lines of what we saw from uh, the Buccaneers last year where they just didn't have a running game. Oh. And if that happens, then maybe enough targets open up for Jordan Thomas to be good. Uh, the other guy I'll throw out is Vernon Davis because Jordan Reed sadly is, is in the concussion protocol one more time. And I, I, I don't know, man, that guy can't seem to put it together for a full yeah. year. Uh, this is you know, a long, we have a long history of this. And once again, Vernon Davis is there waiting in the wings. He's like, the tight end version of Frank Gore, you know, both former Niners and Vernon Davis is going to be catching passes yet again, this time from Dwayne Haskins and Case Keenum. So, right. Yeah. I will say the only, cause I don't, I'm not rooting for 
or I'm definitely not rooting against Jordan Reed. I'm not a, a, a sadist like this. But if there is a silver lining, one, you get VD. Uh, well, oh, that's that's an awful silver lining. Is that I apologize. bad? Yeah. Oh my God. That, the silver lining is I get VD. Um, it's no that Jeremy Sprinkle plays. That Ooh. guy just brings joy wherever he is. It's like it's like a, a Disney character <laughs> <laughs> on the other end of the line. It's like it's like there. Oh, look, it's Jeremy Sprinkle. Throw me the ball. Do you think the other teams feel bad about tackling him, or only when they're chasing him down and they see the the name on the jersey? They might feel bad, but it's kind of like with Andrew Luck when you hit him. Like I think Jeremy Sprinkle says, "Good, good, good tackle, chap. Good chap." <laughs> and 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 he, and he like he tips his helmet, and and then he and he shuffles on his way. I mean, like Vernon Davis, it's like you tackle him, it just hurts. But with Jeremy Sprinkle, yeah. Uh, Jordan Reed, you, yeah, I mean, you hit him and then you, you know, you've got to wave your arm. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, but, but yes, yeah, so if if one of the three, I've got to tackle. I want to tackle Jeremy Sprinkle. I feel like he's, you know, he's not going to take it personally. He's not going to get hurt because he can't. He's a, uh, he's an animated sprite. It's like a Care Bear out there. He's tackling a Care Bear. All right, Rudy, this has been great. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Uh, why don't you let folks know where they can find your work, uh, social media, and uh, yeah, anything else you want to plug. Yeah, um, so if you like this podcast and you lasted through it, you'll find more wisdom and quips at Rudy Gamble on Twitter, on Razzball, which I write at and I co-own. I have projections up there uh you know, for preseason, for rest of the season, weekly, all that stuff's there. Uh, we've got a trade analyzer that's free and some depth charts that are free. I say if if somehow four for four doesn't sate you, if you're that insatiable. Impossible. For fantasy football content, then check us out. Well, thank you, Rudy, for coming on the show. Listeners, you can follow him at Rudy Gamble on Twitter. You can follow me at Greg Sauce. Pop over to 444.com to check out my recent write-up of the expert mock draft that Rudy and I did with 10 other super sharp analysts. And if you don't already have a 444 subscription locked in, what are you waiting for? The season is almost here, so sign up today and get access to all of 444's great tools, including our optimal lineups, custom waiver pickups, draft analyzer software, trade evaluator, and much more. John Paulson will be back later this week with another special guest to deliver even more tight end analysis into your ears. Stay tuned for that, and I'll be back again next week. Until then... Thanks for listening to the Most Accurate Podcast. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I just remembered that I, I both two times and I forgot like a joke I was going to make about. I was going to say that four, four for four is uh, my favorite site that was uh, inspired by Moses Malone. <laughs>
I see like how ex- how like random of a joke I can make. <laughs> you so you, you you evidently got the reference, but I was gonna see like figure like how many people can I stymie? Like what the hell is he talking about? Moses? Mm-hmm. 